Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Opportunity Starts at Home podcast, where we explore the deep connection between housing and opportunity across the nation with experts from various sectors, from health to education, to racial equity, to climate, and much more. My name is Chantel Wilkinson. I am the campaign manager of the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign. The campaign is about bringing voices into housing advocacy that are not typical housing advocates and using these new partners to advance federal affordable housing policy. This campaign has come together at a critical moment with housing advocates recognizing the crisis has reached enormous heights and advocates and leaders in other sectors recognizing that fixing the housing crisis is instrumental to their own goals and priorities. Housing has an impact on our health. Housing has an impact on our education. Housing has an impact on our access to nutritious foods. Housing has played a major role in structural racism and discrimination, and we can go on and on. Our podcast aims to deepen our understanding of housing and its spillover impacts, explore the substantial research out there, and we are bringing in the experts to chat about it. So thank you for joining us today, and let's get into this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. It's been a while, but we are back. For those who do not know, I am the newest co-host. My name is Chantel Wilkinson. I am the campaign manager of Opportunity Starts at Home. I want to thank you for joining us today, and let's get right into our topic, which is how to build multi-sector partnerships to advance affordable housing policy. At the core of this campaign is the idea that other sectors should come together to advance housing policy. The crisis has gotten so big that housing advocates can no longer do this work alone and that other sectors are recognizing that they need to advance housing to advance their own goals and priorities. At the national level, we have a growing number of national organizations that help us advance our policy priorities but we knew that it was important to support state campaigns building state-level multi-sector coalitions. This way, policymakers are hearing from a diverse body of their own constituents about the housing resources needed in their state. Over the past three years, the campaign has supported the work of state campaigns across the nation. We currently support 15 state campaigns that are building state-level multi-sector partnerships and leveraging those partnerships to advance federal housing policy. The Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio has been a part of the national campaign from the start. And in today's episode, we are speaking to Gina Wilk. She is the Advocacy Director at the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio, also referred to as COHIO. So I'll let her talk a bit about herself. And so welcome, Gina, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for for having me. This is exciting and um, happy to be here to talk about coalition and the important work um, that we do here at Cohio and in coalition building. Um, so I um, I started at Cohio probably um, like four or five years ago already. I guess I I did some work um, on the outside. I was a consultant with a lobbying firm. And um, actually started just with Cohio as a client, um, and we brought together a multi-sector group to fight and push for the Ohio Housing Trust Fund um, to to protect it and to bolster um, the dollars in that 
trust fund um, to promote affordable housing and um, to end homelessness. So that's really how I started off my work with Cohio. And um, then they brought me on full time and have been um, learning and growing and, and working ever since. So very happy to be here and um, happy to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And yes, I mean, multi-sector work, jumping into multi-sector work just at the start um, is amazing. And where, where my background is, um, I was working on state policy in New York State, but then I was also doing this collaboration in the region of state where they were trying to um, bring awareness to vacant housing in upstate New York. So it, it, it was like Albany and Schenectady and Troy um, and they had artists and policymakers and community organizations and community leaders and banks and all of that kind of stuff involved. So it was definitely multi-sector. And from there, I kind of learned from the partnerships too. So it's great to hear about what you've done jumping into Cohio and the work that you've, that you've started off doing and then also just bringing that into Opportunity Starts at Home. And so before we jump into like the, the actual multi-sector work, I do want to ask about, um, just tell us a bit more about the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. Sure. Thanks for asking. Yeah, Cohio, um, you know, our mission is, of course, to end homelessness um, and to promote decent, safe, fair, affordable housing for everyone. Um, and of course, we focus on um, helping the low lowest income and uh, more special needs populations. So um, just really trying to pursue pr systemic change um, that will help the more vulnerable populations um, end homelessness, expand affordable housing, um, and you know, so advocacy, 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 and public education, um, I would say is, is the, the nuts and bolts of Cohio. Um, but there's lots more that we do. Um, and I still feel like I'm the new kid on the block, but, um, you know, and I, I, my specialty is more in the government affairs arena, but Cohio does so much more than that. So they, they do a lot of training and technical assistance um, to local providers, so local agencies and not-for-profit um, service organizations. Um, they do, we have a youth homelessness department, a, a very mighty department of one <laughs> um, that, you know, combats youth homelessness. Um, we have a landlord-tenant um, hotline, so we work hard to protect and promote tenants' rights. Um, and we also have a section that works on um, Social Security income, um, benefits, um, and helping individuals who are homeless um, and have disabilities that they can use those benefits to become stably housed. And then um, we coordinate the 80 rural counties in Ohio. Um, we have a, a very mighty and mighty small but mighty staff that works with all of the homeless service agencies um, in the 80 rural counties. So um, we call that our balance of state, and they do all the continuum of care work there. So um, we that's pretty much. Well, we also have like our voter voter participation. Um, work that Maria Bruno does, and you'll you'll have to talk to Maria Bruno on one of the on one of your shows as well. But she does a great job making sure our underrepresented um, communities are um, getting out and and voting. So I would say that 
that covers a lot. There's more, but I, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, amazing work that you guys do. And no doubt that you guys are, are a state partner uh, for all the work that you guys have been doing. And so another question uh, would be, you know, we talk about the crisis on the national level, and we've done a job throughout this podcast of really trying to show how how policies and how for such a long time, these resources have not been targeted to the lowest income renter. And we're seeing this crisis now um, that we've seen for a very, very long time. And it's just deepening and deepening. And so I, I'm going to turn to you to kind of give a, a view of what that looks like in Ohio, the housing crisis. And why is there a great need to expand housing resources for low income Ohioans? Yeah, so I I mean, I'll keep this part short. Um, I mean, we could talk, we could go on and on. Um, but I would say basically, um, you know, Ohio, I think if you look at the nation, you look at Ohio, there's definitely some similarities. Um, you know, Ohio is very diverse. We have a, um, very diverse state. Um, every single county, (laughs) we have 88 counties, every county has, you know, their own, um, different unique circumstances. Um, but I would say overall, Generally speaking, it's a lack of adequate rental assistance for um, our lowest wage earners. Um, you know, the emergency rental assistance through COVID relief is an extraordinary help, and we're so grateful for that. Um, that is temporary. Um, you know, this is that's emergency um, money, um, it, but we still we still have a long term. Um, problem with rental assistance for our lowest wage earners. And of course, lack of affordable housing. Um, And a big thing that we heard coming off our our Cohio conference, um, our first virtual Cohio conference, is the lack of landlords really willing to accept vouchers. Um, So, you know, not enough housing options available, don't don't have the jobs that pay a living wage to, to be able to afford um, decent housing, um, and then really being able to go after landlords um, and work with them, build relationships with them so that they'll accept um, vouchers. So um, I think that is definitely a big challenge that kind of st- stuck with me post-conference, just hearing that. Um, we need to find landlords. We need more incentives um, to really get landlords to engage um, and work with us um, in our low, our, our lowest um, income neighbors. Yeah, I mean another partnership, right? So yes, about how do we, you know, how do we do better in these systems to really make sure that people at the lowest end of that that income scale that really are at the greatest need get the resources that they need. And I mean, just as you said, it's it's really simple sometimes when we think about it. Is we don't have enough resources for these folks, and they need the resources in order to be housed. So. Thank you so much for that. And so let's jump into multi-sector work. It's been it's been almost three years, a little over three years. But when we started the campaign, um, you, you guys were chosen to be one of the first state campaigns to be a part a part of the national campaign. And at the start, we were able to provide you all with a grant for over two and a half years. Uh, so can you talk about how Ohio was able to use the funds to build its multi-sector coalition over these these two years? Yeah. So, you know, I think coalition building, um, it is, you know, partly it's like a cultural thing and it's like, how do you tick, you know, do you tick in your, you know, 
in your own kind of world or do you tick by bringing people on the outside of your world into your world? And I think that's, that is kind of my mentality. I've always been, let's, you know, let's talk to people, let's figure out how we can all work together. Um, and, and so Kohio had, had already done a lot of that and I was able to continue that work. Um, but being able to work with opportunity starts at home, um, gave us, a huge chance to engage more at the federal level. So doing more federal advocacy um, and strengthening, you know, existing relationships um, that we know are important, that we knew were important, but just being able to focus on that and just really strengthening those relationships and, and then using that to help us build better bonds at the federal level. So, um, with our, you know, with our congressional leaders, being able to focus our resources and spend time simply on important relationships, um, whether it's with the healthcare sector, the education sector, um, even the business sector and local um, government folks who we know everything we do impacts each other. And so really figuring out our message and working with these um, partners, these multi-sector partners, um, you know, having just that time and resource and being able to dedicate, um, you know, dedicate kind of our, our headspace around that. Um, that was, that was huge, you know, being able to put together, um, just put together plans and, and keep up with all the fast moving pieces. Um, I think, you know, that was that was just really nice that we were able to to do that with with those resources, bringing our multi sector partners um, together to really help to us to influence the overall kind of momentum with housing policy. Yeah, that I mean, it's incredible to to listen to just the new partners that um, are able to come to the table, the partners that you've already kind of had this partnership with just deepening those connections mm-hmm. and then also pivoting that kind of partnership to advocacy on the federal level, which again, I think I've communicated in the beginning how essential that is for federal policymakers to really hear from you all about what is it that you need and having that voice be so diverse. Like it's not just housing, it's all these other sectors that are coming together together on the state level to speak about these issues, speak about the housing resources that are needed. And so my next question to you is geared to more um, for groups out there that are looking to start their own multi-sector partnerships. And you touched on this a little bit about the strategies, but just kind of laying out there, what are some strategies that you would recommend for bringing in new partners to the table? And also with that, what were some of the challenges that you guys um, had with bringing in those partnerships and how maybe you overcome them or how you started to think about it and try to change? Because we know that creating partnerships is, is like this, it's a, it's a process. <laughs> It's in roles with people. It's trying to figure out where do you um, enter into an organization and speak about who to speak to about these issues and and where you can come to the table. Kind of creating those entry points and also walking folks along. And we know that some people are just they're excited to jump into the work. And we've had um, all the national level organizations that we've had to kind of like you know walk through from the very beginning because they weren't as comfortable. So. Speaking from you all perspective on the state level too, what were some strategies that you would recommend and what were some challenges? Yeah. So um, 
for the second half, we didn't really have a lot of challenges um, because people want to engage. People mm-hmm. are starving for this engagement and for this collaboration. Mm-hmm. So I, I can touch more on that later. But so some of the strategies that we um, embarked upon, I guess, is um, the seeing is believing. And um, seeing really is believing. And so we got out and we traveled around the state and we did um, congressional housing tours. Um, We did, you know, statewide kind of round tables. Um, And we invited people to that. Um, Who doesn't want to show up to a tour with Congresswoman Marcy Kaptur? You know, who doesn't want to come and and hear um, Congressman Mike Turner? You know, so when you're you have those folks that you're able to bring in when you call up your your large um MCO like CareSource in our our case or you call up um maybe um you know the Ohio Federation of Teachers or you reach out to um maybe a uh whoever you know whatever sector um the hospital the local hospital um, they're going to come, they're going to show up because they want to, they want some face time with this congressional member as well. So, you know, I think, um, really just saying, look, we have an important conversation. Our, our issues intersect. The focus is going to be housing and why housing is foundational. The focus is going to be that we need to end homelessness and we need to promote affordable housing, but you are going to have, you know, eight to 10 minutes to talk about, why housing is important to the work that you do. So um, when we did, for instance, Congressman um, Mike Turner, we had um, CareSource, which is a large MCO here in Ohio and across the nation, really. And then we had Dayton Children's Hospital. And um, then we had a senior housing provider. And we actually hosted it at um, the community center for this senior housing provider um, um, St. Mary's. And so he got to talk about what the work that he was doing right there on site. And he brought, um, two of his residents to also join and share. Um, you know, one was a widow and, and, you know, she was able to share how important this housing was for her. This affordable housing option was for her. Um, and, and, you know, Nation or, or Dayton Children's Hospital was able to talk about their work with asthma and how the intersection with housing and health, um, you know, really can make or break, um, you know, a child's um, asthma um, care and situation. So I think really just making sure everybody has a role. They want to have a role. They want to be on the the main panel, um, which is fine because then you have the Congress person um, in a, has, has this viewpoint of, wow, you know, this is all, we're, we're all important. Everything comes together and housing really is foundational, um, to somebody's health in this case, you know, maybe asthma or, and, and the same panel, you know, the, the senior citizen who, um, you know, recently lost a spouse, doesn't have the, the income or the, the resources really to live on her own and needs that supportive care um, in that senior housing environment. So I think really being able to just pull people together, let them know, hey, Congressman so-and-so is going to be there and we want you to to present for eight to 10 minutes. They're going to show up and they want to show up. And I think, um, you know, with groups like National Low Income Housing Coalition uh, has done such a great job 
with raising housing to the top of the list that there is momentum right now. So um, people are, are, are starving for events like this and they don't want to plan the event. <laughs> they want to get the FaceTime with the, the congressional leaders, but we're doing all that hard work. All they have to do is show up. And, um, you know, we, I, I think we provide a sense of um, open dialogue and community and um, it's very successful. I mean, I cannot underscore enough how successful just education and outreach through in-district meetings um, and that without having that diverse set of coalition partners to fully participate, I don't think they would be as successful. Yeah. I mean, you shared a lot there, <laughs> I, I, especially the points around the shared interest. The shared interest not only in the intersections, but also in the shared interest to get in front of policymakers as well and speak about the issues in all these sectors and how they're just so connected. And I think that it really does a job at changing the way that we talk about certain issues. I think that there's this conversation happening about looking at individual individual like um, circumstances and situations and seeing them more in a holistic way. And so even when we're having these conversations on the policy level, I think that they are geared towards that kind of idea of looking at these these issues, these social issues that we're, we're battling with and tackling for so, so long and seeing how it's so connected to other sectors and what we do in partnerships in order to create solutions that are really more holistic to the to the situation that individuals may be experiencing. And so such a great, I mean, you, you shared so much. And I think especially that one thing that you hit on too at the very end about like the work that it takes to like, um, for you all to kind of get that, that, that event or whatever it is together and saying, hey, it's the extension of, you just got, just come in and participate. Right. <laughs> We're going to do the work. We're putting it together <laughs> and you can show up and really speak to the expertise of your field and speak to why it, it matters um, for health, for education, for racial equity, for whatever sector it is, and just come and speak to your sector and your needs and, and how advancing housing could get there. And so there was along those lines, along the uh, lines of like events that our state partners did over the years, uh, we we would just ask you guys what was the work, you know, to provide us updates of what you were doing with your partnerships. And we would hear about all these really awesome things that you guys were doing, such as distributing materials that were focused on multi-sector partnerships and maybe how housing is connected to health or how housing is connected to the environment and all these different topics. So we saw things like that come out of our state partners. We saw conferences that, you know, maybe the theme was multi-sector partnerships, or maybe there was a panel or a discussion where experts were brought in to speak about the intersections between housing and the policies that are needed. Um, there were so many op-eds that were put out that really spoke to the public to change the public view and policymakers' view um, about these particular conversations and having partners come in and give their, again, their expertise given a quote on the opt-eds, do something that was a little bit more collaborative within the opt-ed as well. And so there were all these different ways and all these different things that we were hearing about from the work that was being done in these partnerships. And so what are some of the ways that Cohio was able to leverage their partnerships in that way and produce the, the multi-sector work that was distributed throughout the state? Yeah, so um, I, I think that... Uh, how were we able to leverage our 
partners, um, you know, even if, you know, they weren't totally educated on our issues, or even if they weren't um, even 100% alongside of us and agreeing with every little thing that we were fighting um, or, you know, tackling, that bringing them to the table even was still beneficial because um, we could we could intersect our message with what they their needs were. And so I think everybody, you know, depending, you know, even pre-pandemic, um, it it was an opportunity for everyone to just come together and share. And I think there was just a huge people wanted to do that. People wanted to do that, whether it was um, you know, the Ohio Bankers League or the Ohio Association of Realtors. Um, or other types of folks who you wouldn't normally think would be um, interested in partnering, I think um, I, they they really wanted they want to team up. You know, they want to see where where is there some common ground, um, especially as we you know the pandemic you know changed all of our lives. We you know we had to, of course we switched to virtual roundtables um, and you know, started advocating virtually, um, which was good in a sense because we didn't have to travel all over the state. You know, we could get on a Zoom. And um, because COVID changed our lives, um, I think that was an entryway for us to to really um, work a little bit better with our landlord friends because they were struggling. And, and what do you do when, you know, you can't just evict someone and even if you could evict someone or if you did, where's the next renter during this pandemic? And so really being able to say, look, we, we need to work on emergency rental assistance altogether. Um, we can't we can't operate in silos. You know, that that's not an option. Um, and so, you know, really having that multi-sector virtual roundtable to push for the need for emergency rental assistance. Um, it, it made sense. And we all agreed, yeah, we need to do that. And so we were able to pull everyone together. We did, um, I think we did a call with Congressman Joyce Beatty. We did um, a webinar with um, U.S. Senator um, Sherrod Brown, and we did a webinar with U.S. Senator um, Rob Portman. And, you know, we, sh everybody shared their viewpoint, where they were at um, in the pandemic and what what was needed. So, um, yeah, so I think just, you know, getting out there, um, getting the feedback, um, bringing people together, trying to be, you know, that resource, um, we really want, wanted, and, and I think hopefully Cohio is, you know, that consistent go-to resource, um, if it's, you know, housing and homelessness related. Um, whether it's for our congressional delegation or whether it's for our multi-sector partners, um, because they're getting issues thrown at them all the time. Like, what about housing? What about housing? Or what about transportation and housing? What about education and housing? Whatever it is that they can come to us and that we can, you know, figure out a way to work together um, to, you know, influence a positive change in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, two things. So, I mean, 
coming from what you what you just spoke about too is just like you know people needing to come together and just like the difference between the times that we're in with the pandemic and how those relationships had to shift as well and and I know that like there were I mean there were events that you guys were taking on before um before the pandemic hit like housing tours and bringing folks in to speak about um issues during those tours um and having to shift to like this virtual world and using those partnerships in order to shift um in that way um, so I do want to talk about like once the coronavirus pandemic hit the nation and our priorities, they shifted somewhat because we had to pay attention to this now, this now, the, the, the pandemic, like it was, it was changing our lives. It, it, it forced us to engage with our partners in a different way. Um, so what were some ways that Kohio was able to use this partnerships to help with advocacy throughout the pandemic? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it worked out great. I mean, it was great that we had those relationships already. And like I said, we've had a lot of these relationships, um, for, for decades, um, you know, thanks to the, the efforts, um, by, you know, Bill Faith, our executive director, we've had a lot of these relationships, but people change, um, people leave their jobs, they go other places. Um, there are new organizations that spring up and there's, you know, new mentalities. And I think, First, just having that nature or that inclination to um, to relationship and to um, thinking outside of the box, you know, just kind of having that natural inclination towards um, coalition, you know, like let's bring people under our tent, you know, and and not everybody thinks that way and not everybody ticks that way. So I think. You really, you know, having that natural kind of inclination towards let's bring everyone together underneath this tent type of thing. I think that that's the first step. Just naturally, constantly thinking who's not at that, who's not at this meeting that should be here. You know, who did I forget to talk to? Who, you know, not, it, it really has to be um, not, oh, we only want a few people here because, you know, it's just going to be an easier easier way to make decisions or easier, um, shorter meeting. You know, you can't really have that thought process. It has to really be, okay, we need to bring everyone and let's figure this out. Um, and, and the people even who may not agree with us, but we know we're going to have to deal with them down the road. So let's just bring them in. Let's, let's submit for feedback. Let's, you know, figure out what we can do. So I think that was kind of step one. Step two was going back to some of our friends that maybe we fought with on certain things, um, like the landlord groups in Ohio. We've had, you know, state legislative um, battles where, you know, your, your folks are, you know, on the other side or trying to shorten eviction periods and um, make it easier to evict rather than, help, you know, helping our tenants. So less tenant right um, type legislation. But then realizing with emergency rental assistance that, you know, we needed to work together. So, you know, putting that aside, your your previous maybe battles and, and you know, we're Ohio's small. It's like a small town. The state house is even smaller. It's like um, a very small high school. Everybody knows everyone. We, you know, we may not agree, but at the end of the day, you know, we're going to join together, whether it's, you know, at a happy hour or whether it's at our kids' soccer games that, you know, we're on this, you know, our kids are on the same team. Um, so it's a very small world and it's a very, so there's really no excuse here in Ohio anyway, and I'm sure it's the same in lots of other states to not just 
talk to everyone that you possibly can. Um, it, it's, I don't see any negative to that. We've not had any negative consequences, um, um, because of that. So, um, yeah, I think just having that mentality first and then, you know, figuring out what, where's the win-win, you know, where's the win-win here? Like with emergency rental assistance, the win-win was, you know, landlords have the opportunity to get checks directly and tenants have the opportunity to apply and stay in their homes. And, you know, landlords might have the opportunity to upkeep the property, like figuring out all those win-wins and, um, you know, getting everyone on the same page um, and, and just kind of going from there. And, and also I think, you know, this, the statistics and the, the proof, um, that you can bring that shows if you fix these problems, there's going to be longer term, um, community benefit, economic growth, and all the things that we all want and that we all need. Um, and I think being able to show that with numbers and statistics, I think can be helpful too. And, and making sure you can get, um, you know, all your partners to the table. Yeah. Yes. I think that, you know, it's, um, is that you guys were doing a lot of this work already. So getting the funding from opportunity starts at home, having this national campaign that's actually like saying, Hey, that thing that you're doing on that state level, that multi-sector work that you guys have been doing, building relationships through time. Um, that's important. <laughs> we want to bring that as a national voice. So, so, um, so a lot of the the answers too is just it's fitting because it's the work that you guys have been cultivating for such a long time with groups in Ohio to have these conversations. And now there was like this push to really move us all in that direction, right? To have us right. all not speaking within these silos, but really speaking to each other, which is something that I think that you're amplifying through the answers that you're giving too, is just that these partnerships are so necessary and they've been necessary, even if they're just being recognized now as being necessary, they always mm-hmm. have been. Exactly. Solutions and our problems have always been so connected that that the, the, the conversation is, is necessary. Um, and so um, for as being one of the groups, Cohio, has been with the campaign from the very beginning. It has been more than three years now that we've been doing this on the national level through an alliance and opportunity starts at home. So with more than three years of, of work with this multi-sector stuff under your belt, what would you say are some major takeaways? It takes persistence. Um, you know, my, my three Ps that we talk about a lot are, um, persuasive, persistent, and polite. And that can go along, you know, I say that for advocacy, that goes along with coalition building as well. You have to be persistent. Um, You have to be polite because, again, we're working with maybe the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. We probably aren't polite with them when they're trying to um, evict people (laughs) that we feel like "Mm, maybe let's look at this a little differently. But on other issues, maybe, you know, we can work with them down the road. So, you know, and being persistent, you you have to keep at it. You have to keep at it. And you do want to be persuasive. And when we talk about being persuasive, I go back to the statistics. Show me the money. Show them, especially our business partners, show them why they should care about affordable housing. Show them why they should care about ending homelessness. Um, it's It's very important. And it's it is it takes work 
Um, it takes work to, to put together your persuasive statements and your persuasive arguments and your persuasive messages. It takes time because every sector you need to use a different message. It takes persistence because you have to schedule meetings, meetings get canceled, reschedule. You have to bring 25 different people together for a roundtable. That's a lot of people, a lot of organizing, a lot of coalition building, a lot of relationships, a lot of scheduling. It's a lot of logistics, but you have to be persistent and get it done. I think in one year, the best year that we had, we did 14 roundtables um, around the state, 14. And now virtually, we probably did about the same during, you know, when COVID hit, we probably hit about 14, 15, maybe more, um, which were a little bit easier. And you had to figure out how how's the best way to get things done? You know, I have figured, <laughs> I find out like who are the three or four most important people, get them scheduled and get them on the list and get them locked in and then invite everybody else. And of course, you know, whether it's Senator Brown or, you know, whether it's a Congressman Steve Stivers or whoever it is, get their availability, get that wrapped up. And then you just, the rest, you know, has to kind of work itself out. Having a really good intern helps with some of this um, coordinating and, and logistical work. Um, and then again, being polite because because this is a long-term thing. This is, like you said, you have to, takes years and years and years. Um, and um, you want to be able to utilize this network um, quickly sometimes if there is a quick emergency action that needs to be done. And you don't have time when that happens to, you know, call and be like, Oh, how's it going? How are you? No, you don't have, you know, you have to have that relationship already built so you can access that network quickly, do the call to action, get them to sign the letter, get them to join in whatever, you know, you're doing at that point in time. So, um, yeah, be persuasive. Don't give up, you know, persistence is key and, um, maintaining a diplomatic decorum, um, and being polite, I would say those are, would be my three big, <laughs> my three P's for all of this work. Yeah, that is, I, I, I love that model. <laughs> Persuasive, distant, and polite. I think that that gets right to the point <laughs> with kind of how to, to really utilize strategy and really, I think it communicates a lot to the realistic part of some of this work that some of it, especially persistence, is like you got to go back time and time again sometimes and just try to build those relationships. Like, like, hey, where are you guys at now? And, you know, at the national level, one thing that we find, too, is with some of these relationships that we're trying to, to cultivate and, and get better with, create that better bond, sometimes, it, it you know, the organizations themselves, they may have turnover or different right. leadership. Now you have the, and so it's, it's like you got to, it's a new conversation with a new person and you have to start again and so that persistence is really important and um being persuasive it it makes me think about how much we've we've really dedicated to putting out the research out there and finding like how much money we save in health and how much money is generated locally when when we when we when we provide stable and affordable housing to folks how much does that create in in wealth and jobs later on it's like all of this stuff is is research that's out there and sometimes with our partners they may not know that so making sure that they are aware of of the research that is out there around housing and how housing is is, it helps with all these different things and like the spillover effects of housing are are so tremendous sometimes it generates so much money it 
it, it helps in so many different ways in, in terms of well-being, state of mind, all of that kind of stuff, making sure that people have access to, to foods are healthy and nutritious, all these things that, you know, I don't, sometimes I think, I think housing is so intuitive to folks that it's like, we almost forget how foundational and important it is that where you live has all these different impacts in all these different ways. And so leading into our next question um, about racial equity, right? So there, I mean, history has been there. We know it's, it's, it's been there. We know it. And we, and we know how housing has played a major part in discrimination in the, in the nation in which we live in and segregation and affordability and wealth building in all of these areas. We know that housing played a, a, a huge part in what we see today in terms of racial disparities. And so for us, you know, last year we did take some major steps in advancing racial equity work in the campaign. We had racial equity partners in terms of like um, NAACP and Unidos US that, you know, that's like their, their, their work is civil rights work. Um, and then we had um, pages on our, on our website that were dedicated to racial equity and the research around it. For us last year, it was important for us to take major steps to do more work. Like it, it really, it wasn't enough. And we knew that. So we needed to do better and we needed to do more work to advance racial equity in the work that we do with OSA. And so last year we created the Racial Equity Working Group and we've done several important pieces of our work. We've, we've um, really honed in and made some changes. And so for us, as we make changes, we also want to support the work of our state campaigns that are making changes towards racial equity as well. And so what are some ways Cohio has been advancing racial equity throughout the campaign? And as protests have been held, are, are holding those protests are holding our groups more accountable to doing this work. And so what are some ways Cohio has been more intentional about advancing racial equity in the past year? Yeah, that's a great question and so important. And there's going to be way more work that Cohio is kind of embarked upon that than than I know to be honest because we we have you know such a great great team here and you know oh I think just one statistic that I think is completely shameful is the fact that African Americans comprise only 13% of Ohio's population but as far as our state's homeless system they make up nearly half of our homeless system. Okay. So, um, you know, Cohio is certainly dedicated to improving equity in our um, homeless and housing systems. And we did back in 2017 start a race equity committee to figure out ways to incorporate racial equity into everything that we do. Um, so I think the the effort kind of started because we were trying to figure out a more like just the numbers like a very quantitative analysis of you know with our homeless management information system um like how do we get this information um and then you know just looking at overall then it kind of led to well let's look at overall cohio demographics compare our staff and board representation to the people that we were actually serving, the people that we're actually advocating for. And, and so the, the race equity committee, they've just done a ton of stuff and I don't even know everything that they've done. They're, they're amazing. Um, they've been doing a lot of internal trainings. They've been doing external trainings, talking about, um, 
you know, applying racial equity lens to, to everything, all of our programs, whether it's the youth homeless program, whether it's, you know, the, you know, the, the SOAR program, um, everything that we're, that we're doing. So they, I think they worked with the group, um, locally to, to start like a training curriculum, um, specifically for our homeless and housing service providers and, and just, you know, trying to get everyone kind of in the same space, like, okay, this is where we're at. And because it's a lot of education, it's a lot of outreach, you know, um, we didn't all learn the same things in our um, high school history class, or, you know, if you went to college and you're, you're college, we didn't, we don't, we don't all have the same level of education. And so we have to kind of get everyone to a position of, okay, this is, this is where we're at. And this is why we're here. And, and now we need to move forward. And I think it is time now to, okay, let's, uh, it's been time, way time, long, long, long overdue to move forward and just, okay, now we just got to do it. We have to increase equity. And so of course we're focused more on the homeless system and this, you know, the kind of the standards around equity in the homeless system, but the, um, the Kohio folks are, are kind of doing a little bit more than that too. Um, and in their trainings and other nonprofits are, you know, have been welcome to join some of these trainings. Of course, a lot of them are, are virtual now, but I think they started another little like action committee to, to, um, talk about, um, kind of the whole statewide picture of what's going on with racial equity, you know, to bring in community leaders and advocates and, of course, um, you know, making sure that individuals with lived experience are um, a part of this conversation and really, in a way, leading um, the conversations, um, especially on, on the action committee. Um, so, so yeah, I, there's lots going on. There's some momentum that we need to, you know, really just jump on the momentum and dedicate. Um, we, we have a position right now. I don't know if they've hired anyone yet or not, but Cohio posted a position for a full-time staffer that's totally and fully um, dedicated to promoting racial equity on all of our housing and homeless work, on the whole homelessness system, but then also, you know, hope, hopefully to promote racial equity within, you know, our organization. So um, definitely very important. And, you know, since I really 2017 is when we started, when we kicked off that work, but I think we're, um, it's exciting that right now, 2021, we're uh, about to hire someone to, um, totally take it on because it deserves its own, it's, 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 its own attention for sure. You know, I, I think that it's increasingly becoming important for us to have these conversations too, about what partners are doing, what we're doing to, to advance this work, because sometimes we'll get in meetings and folks are like, so what are you doing? It's like, we, we have to, to, to share these ideas as yes, well. Absolutely. To think about what, what is the, what are the ways to go about this? And I was just listening to um, just another speaker on this uh, completely different platform, just about this work too. And how, you know, right now we, we do have a moment in time, right. And we're all trying to figure this all out too. Like we, you know, not all of us know the answers to every single questions, but we are taking steps. So it's incredible to hear about the action team that you guys have put together, the person that you're, that you're going to hire, who's going to focus in this work, how you guys are thinking about how we integrate this work 
you know, more, more presently, more fully in the things that we're doing, because we know that it's always been there and we've spoken about this, but, you know, there's, there's more that we can do here. And I think that we all recognize this, especially in this moment with everyone is, is putting their attention towards it. Something that, again, like you mentioned, and I'll echo, um, it, it's long overdue, you know, it, it, it should have been done and, and, and it hasn't been. So now we're here and it is long overdue, but we do have this moment now where okay. everyone is, is focusing in on this, on, on, on advancing racial equity. And so I think it's so important to share the ways in which we are thinking, the ways in which we are doing these things in order to get to the place that we really want to be and, and see in this, in this nation, you know, what, where we really want to go with racial equity. And, and I think it's incredible. So we'll continue to share that work. And so great to hear about the work that you guys are doing in Ohio to really, you know, focus in on racial equity and really advance it and make it very intentional work. And so you guys have, you guys remain to be a safe partners with Opportunity Starts at Home. And just going back to what I was just talking about in this particular moment that we have, it seems like we have an incredible moment here to really advance our foundational policy more than ever before um, in this moment. And so could you just tell us, what are you excited about in this moment? Wow, <laughs> that's a great question. I, I'm excited um, because I think it's our chance. This is our time. Other sectors have kind of had their time, and I think this is our time right now. Um, you know, I know we've heard this a lot, but you know, this is we we are still in a crisis. We went through a crisis. Hopefully, we're coming out of this crisis. And you know, everyone said, "Well, nothing's worse than a crisis." Well, of course, there are things worse than a crisis, and that's a wasted crisis. And we do not want to waste this crisis. And um, I think the intersection between housing and health has been amplified now more than ever. Can't have a stay-at-home order <laughs> apply to you if you do not have a home. And and really seeing the impact of a person's health. Um, through this crisis, whether it was housing related or not, really still raised housing and homelessness to the top of people's mind. So I'm super excited. We have um, our very own U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown chairing the Banking and Housing Committee, which, you know, he says um, Housing and Banking Committee um, because he cares about housing and he's already brought people from Ohio to DC to, to testify, you know, before his committee to share. And so I think we have, um, such a great opportunity right now. Um, we do not want to squander this opportunity and, um, it is exciting. It's also makes me very nervous because we, we do not want to squander this and we have to make sure that we are educating, um, continuing this. We cannot back down. We can't just, you know, oh, we have all this money coming. Well, we, we really have to think this through. You know, we have emergency money coming. And yes, we're looking at an infrastructure bill that, that's looking fantastic. But what does this mean? How do we talk to people? How do we educate? How do we really show why this is important and, and how do we really get in front of conservative lawmakers who are not bought in and, and we, we still have to work with, with everyone. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. Um, the priorities that have been laid out are, 
you know, it's everything that we've worked towards, you know, with our op-eds that we've done. You talked about, you know, we've done op-eds with the Ohio Federation of Teachers. We've done op-eds with our our local county folks, with the realtors, um, with our community colleges. We've done, you know, all these things to really talk about why housing is important. And so now we have um, resources before us that can address some of this. And I think, you know, everyone says, oh, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Well, we have to really put it in perspective, too, and 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 show, okay, the, the breakdown. What's the true, you know, budget breakdown and who is going to be served and, and really making sure that we focus on the group that never gets the focus, and that's our extremely low-income friends, our extremely low-income neighbors and friends, our, our homeless neighbors and friends, that uh, a lot of time they don't, they don't have, nobody's really fighting for, for them. I think, you know, um, so really making sure that we don't forget that group through all of this, you know, not to the exclusion of everything else and all the other important things that have to happen, but just really making sure that we we focus on that and and just this opportunity to have conversations you know we're talking about source of income discrimination i never thought we would i honestly did not think we would be having a serious conversation about source of income discrimination but we are and there's possibility we're having um, serious conversations about um, pay to stay and um, eviction ceiling, so sealing eviction records, um, right to legal counsel, um, all of these conversations that weren't really bipartisan. You might get a bill introduced here or there, didn't really go anywhere, but now we're seeing bipartisan. In Ohio, we have bipartisan um, bill being introduced at the state level this week on um, eviction ceilings. You know, why should what, you know, uh, and with COVID right now, we should understand this more than ever. You know, if you hit a really bad streak in your life, you know, you're 18, 19, 20, you, you had a bad streak, you know, why should you suffer down the road? Now you're in your 30s, late 30s, maybe, and you're still suffering because of those evictions on your record. Why should why shouldn't we have some redemption? Um, why should we not um, help um, you know people start fresh and start new and 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 being able to seal evictions from you know a, a negative streak, which now we see pandemic. We're all we've we've been there. We can see it. So we don't want that to hang on to people forever. So I think just being able to have these conversations at with both Republicans and Democrats that makes me excited. We haven't been able to do that before. I think we've been forced to the table in some situations with our landlords. That makes me excited. And we have to keep pressing and keep talking and keep that work going because there, I think it could wield some major influence over our policies if we keep up that type of coalition work. Exciting. Just hearing you speak about all the things, all the things that are that's happening in this moment that, you know, I think it it, it, it took us somewhat by surprise in, in many ways. And there's just so much that can happen here. There's so much possibility here that I think so many people are just, it's, it's almost like a lot to get your mind around, but also knowing that like, this is the moment, right? This is the, what we've been talking about with Opportunity Starts at Home is that exactly, it's like, you know, before 
you were thinking that the things that we were talking about were so ambitious. I mean, expand rental assistance, increase funding, create new 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 buildings, you know, preserve the units, um, create this emergency fund. And like in a span of a year, those things were just right in, in, in line. It was right. It was it's something that we were we could see being able um, to achieve. And it's, it's incredible how it shifted so quickly. But the it's it's good to know that the the attention to where the need is it's finally it's we're finally getting there like we're finally okay. getting to see it um and it's so incredible to hear you speak about everything that you're excited for and everything we have to, to look forward to in the conversations in Ohio um and the things that might come out of out of, of out of where we are today and so I want to thank you so much for being uh, a host today on our podcast and um, being able to just pick your brains a bit about the state level work that we've been able to to support you guys in doing and excited to hear about everything else that you guys will do as we continue these partnerships and everything that you spoke of today is going to be so important for other folks that are looking to create these and start these multi-sector coalitions in their state as well. So thank you so much, Gina. Thank you. It's been an honor um, and a privilege to talk to you today, Chantel. Thank you. And to everyone else, we will catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye.